welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I'm your host. And joining me this week on the show, we have the author of the Dragon in the Library series and the brand new Otherland novel, Louise Stoll. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us. It's lovely to have you on the show. Now, as you are a new friend to the book club, we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. So if you just want to tell us a quick breakdown about how you came to become an author and a little bit of your journey up to where you are now. Ooh, how long have you got? Um, <laughs> so um, I've been writing for a very long time. I actually started writing Otherland 20 years ago. Um, so I was just left university, you know, I kind of did the classic, oh, I've got to get a job, got a random job that was not really suited to me, which was being in PR. And anyone who knows me knows that's just not really me at all. Because it was basically kind of going, because it was a tech journal, tech PR. So I basically had to go to male journalists and tell them how amazing they were. Um, Gosh, so yeah, no fun. So anyway, obviously soul destroying. So in the evenings, I started writing a book and it was very different from what Otherland became. Um, it's gone through, I don't know, I genuinely can't count the drafts, but um, it's basically become a completely different story at this point. So I sort of like, what I realized was I, I actually gave a talk about this to some students. It was about rejection and I realized I actually didn't get rejected that much. I just didn't send it anywhere. <laughs> um, oh. So it was that thing of like sitting on something for ages. Um, I think I, I put one version of it out there in 2008 and it got very close and then got rejected. So I just sat on it again. <laughs> so I ended up writing The Dragon in the Library, which was um, published in 2019. And, um, but then Major Crow wanted Otherland as well. In, uh, it was actually, when I pitched it to them, it's called Midsummer Night's Scream. It's also had a million titles because I wanted the kind of Shakespearean fairies thing. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely changed my kind of path to being an author's been quite a long one I've worked in publishing for years as well so I had just went full-time author this Christmas oh congrats thank you yeah so um it's obviously going like going freelance in a pandemic is not that much different because I wasn't going to an office anyway <laughs> um but it's definitely more time to write which is great yeah fantastic and it's interesting your writing journey there because obviously uh the first one the first series that is, is published obviously is dragging in the library but obviously that's that's come quite late in the writing journey so I, I wonder where you got the sort of the nugget of the idea for dragging in the library for where did like kit's story come about i think that's probably i think kit came first actually because i think i kept thinking about things like matilda where um, there's all these stories where the kids are really bookish and not just Matilda, like all the books that came after that, um, you know, protagonists who really like reading. And I, I just thought just because you're in a book doesn't mean you'd necessarily like reading. And then I thought I quite like making characters uncomfortable. So I thought, what's the worst nightmare of someone who hates reading? And it's like being forced to work in a library and read all the time and read out loud to like in story time and stuff. So, yeah, it was kind of that kind of clash for Kit. And also, I think my sense that there's always that kind of magic hidden just out of view in very boring places so I, I, I was doing tutoring in a library in Hackney and it was really 
like some of those like really concrete libraries and you know like the doors didn't really work and and I just thought like well these are still books so why can't they be magic here and and not in the kind of Bodleian or anything like beautiful like that so yeah so it's a combination of coming to Kit and then coming to the idea of very everyday places that can actually be magical just because the ideas are still there and the people are still there. Yeah it was very, such an interesting one because of course I think the first time we were even introduced to Kit, she she wants to go and basically play out in the cemetery and go climb trees in the cemetery, which just, I was like, sorry, run, run that back one more time. <laughs> Obviously, Josh and Alita are like, no, we want to go to the library, we want to check out. So, so you're right, it's so interesting because you do find a lot of protagonists. You're in a book, and so they're like, I love books. Yeah. The idea that nothing further from the truth could happen for Kit was just such a nice idea and it's such a, a way to around with it. So then when Kit's story inevitably falls further into like the library world, she has to basically deal with the terms of basically coming. It's that whole thing of like, sometimes doing the right thing isn't necessarily the thing you want to do. Yeah, and I think it's very rarely the thing you actually want to do. So I, I think that kind of journey was quite important to me because... It's, it's not like, you know, you can just be this great moral person who can do everything right. You know, you have to stumble around and often do things that you really would rather not do. And, and I guess it's about being out of your comfort zone. Like she is very much out of her comfort zone in the library with books. Um, and, and I guess sort of as time goes by with magic, she becomes more in her comfort zone with that. But she basically just wants to get to the fireballs and she can't believe she's got to learn all the book stuff first, you know, which I think is possibly the most autobiographical bit. Because I remember like trying to like I was learning music and I, I love playing instruments, but learning music theory just made me feel like I was losing my mind. And it was always that like, I just want to do the practical stuff. Don't make me do the theory. So, yeah, there was a bit of that in Kit. No, I absolutely loved it. And the way I, I read it was basically, uh, I, I'm a big D&D fan. And the way I, I saw Kit was, Kit is sort of like the one who'd play the warlock because they just want to get to the spells, the, the, the damage dealing <laughs> spells. I don't I don't care about the grimoire and building up books. Just give me give me two uh, cantrips and I'll be fine. Patrol, Fireball, Eldritch Blast. And I just, that's how I saw it. But um, that's you can't have... actually very similar to my LARPing experience as a teenager. Yeah. I, um, I didn't play Wizards. I always played Warriors because then you didn't need to learn anything and you just hit things with a plastic sword. So I think that kind of low input low effort approach was something that I really enjoy. I, I have a friend who always basically plays human warrior because he, he's just like, I can't be bothered to learn spells and all the other sort of like class systems that you know, just I just want to hit something five times in a turn, then be done. I'm yeah. like, okay. it me, then I die. That's fine. I can deal with that. <laughs> Which is uh, great, but you can't have a, well, I'm going to use the D&D uh, analogy. You can't have a good D&D party without actually some friends. And Kit has two amazing ones in Josh and Alita. And I wonder where they came from, because obviously you have to build up this sort of, I guess the Trinity now has kind of become like the staple yeah, in yeah. Uh, middle grade books. But, you know, were you always going to surround Kit with friends like that? Or did they come yeah, from later so in the journey? That came from partly my experience of childhood because I was an only child. So my friends were really important to me because basically I, they were almost like brothers and sisters. You know, I had the kids next door and we'd always go out and play. And there was that idea. Like I was perfectly comfortable spending time on my own, but I loved that, that kind of gang feeling and being part of something bigger. Um, so there's a bit of the personal experience and also Buffy and I just like this there's a line that really sticks with me about kind of the idea of a slayer with family and friends so I think that that idea of the Scooby gang I guess is where where it partly came from because partly because I love banter so if you have a character on their own or a character just with other adults with adults they're not going to be able to have the kind of back chat 
and and then also the contrasts and the different characters that care about different things and um and all kind of bounce off each other I, I remember someone telling me like they can't believe like they don't really know how Kit and Alita and Josh made friends and, and it was interesting because I think when I was a kid a lot of my friends were nothing like me and that just seemed normal like you you meet them by chance they happen to live near you they're in your class you might like one thing in common like a cartoon or something and actually it doesn't really matter that you don't like all the same things I think as adults, we get really hung up. I think that's why I think it's very difficult as adults to make friends, whereas kids just <laughs> seem to just like, you put them in a room and by the end of the day, they've got like, that's my best friend. Yeah, you're like, yeah. You've known them two hours. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's kind of like intense. And uh, I do remember a friend of mine said that when he was a kid, his way of making friends was basically to go and push someone over. And if they got back up and pushed him over, then they'd be friends. <laughs> so he had a very like strict criteria. I can't say I use that method myself, but um, there's definitely a, like honest simplicity to some children when they're making friends. Absolutely. Well, our friends, uh, Kit, Josh and Lita, end up uh, getting themselves into a whole heap of trouble, uh, which we won't give away too much about it. But as you've sort of hinted to, in the end of it, basically ends up with Kit becoming a bit of a wizard. And that took us into book two, which is Monster in the Lake. So it got me wondering, when you started, uh, you sat down to write Dragon in the Library, were you always like, actually, this is how it's going to go, I see a series? Or was the series just naturally part of, say, maybe being picked up by an agent and published? It was definitely going to be two books um but nosy crow then said do you want it to be three and I was like oh okay then <laughs> so but, but I hadn't like I hadn't actually written book two yet by the time they said that so I could then kind of replan a bit so that that things would carry on a bit longer um and just also it's nice because when you know how many books you have you know how long your character journey is going to be and sort of where you can put which bits um because sometimes I worry if I you know if I don't know how many books there's going to be I might be like oh let's throw everything at this one and then actually wish I'd been able to space it out a bit more so so that was really nice actually so with um monster and then wizard I definitely by then had a plan of how it was all going to pan out um I suppose I do think a lot in terms of tv so I'm thinking series arc <laughs> and uh you know how the baddies would be coming and going I find it so hard not to be spoilerish but like it is, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yes, coming up with the new baddies for the series or, in, you know, returning to some and coming up with, you know, new adult characters. With, with the Dragon series, I didn't actually introduce any new child characters because um, I felt like I already had quite a big gang, so I wasn't keen to dilute that too much. So it was more that each book had an extra adult or two who play a, you know, a medium big role in, in the book. But so is it, that was a much about giving them access to different types of magic and different worlds within the magical universe as well. So in book two, they meet a Scottish wizard who works for a mobile library. So, you know, in this world, libraries are powered by dragon magic the magic the dragon sleeps below so with a, a mobile library basically it's obviously being driven around and it's being driven around the Scottish Highlands um but then when it goes to park and charge because it's an electric vehicle um actually no, it's not for electric it's so powered it's uh, that's where the dragon is beneath there so you've kind of got the the magic coming up overnight and I just I mean I really like mobile libraries so there's one near me that you know it's kind of for people that can't leave the house um but obviously in a remote place as well like it's a bit harder to get to places so yeah just that idea of like libraries aren't always what you expect um but they're still magical in every version 
Absolutely. And I, mentioning your the sort of the remoteness there, I loved how when we were in sort of lockdown, you you sort of put because I was obviously I try and prepare for these interviews and <laughs> doing some background digging. I came across the unicorn in the cemetery, which seems oh, like yeah. to be a, a cute little short story you've written over coronavirus. Was it uh, last year? Yeah, was it? Yeah. I, I loved the images. Where is that cemetery? Because is that the one that Kit's trying to talk about going yeah, climbing yeah. trees from? Um, yeah. So that's Abney Park um, in Hackney. Um, it's it's uh, started off as a dissenters cemetery, so like it was only the you know I don't know Puritans that aren't of the official religion that were being buried there, and the area Stoke Newington's got quite a reputation for you know dissent in general in the broader political sense, um, and but that cemetery now is not you know not really actively used as a cemetery; it's more of a nature reserve. So um, it was a place that I found really helpful during lockdown because it was so beautiful. Like it's just green everywhere, birdsong, uh, rats, which I love, and that's again that's a bit I put into kit. <laughs> and yeah, so it's actually just a really beautiful place, and I think you know children who go there clearly love it. I don't know how much they climb the trees actually. I'm just thinking about it, but I thought you know. Kit would anyway so even if it's you know not what anyone else is doing uh yeah so that is actually that that whole short story there is there for everyone to read on your website which is, is it just louisstoll.co.uk dot com dot com there you go so uh, i'm gonna put links to that in the show note um because i sort of caught that and i was just like oh, i don't have time to read it before this interview <laughs> but i mean like okay I, I but it was just the cemetery the second i saw the pictures i was like okay i see the aesthetic now i <laughs> I'm drinking it all in. I can see where you've come up with some of the ideas. Yeah. So when I sent David various image references, some of them were of the cemetery. And I actually forget which book it is. It might be book three, where he draws the amazing ruined church that's in the center of the cemetery. Just really kind of it's massive, but you know, not a very kind of at a time it wasn't, you know, lots of high buildings around there. It was a village. Um it was massive, like just towering over everything. So uh, yeah, I recommend just looking at as many pictures as possible of Abney Park Cemetery online because it's gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. As is the entire series, uh, like Dragon in the Library. I'm so grateful that it's out there because it just has. It just it's got something a little. I think everyone will see shades of other books they like in it, and I think it has the accessibility with being quite unique. Um, I love the references of Danny Van Dango um, <laughs> as the sort of the hat tip to the sort of like the, the childhood uh, novels we all love. But mm. I'm, I'm going to step away from Dragon in the Library um, mm. for a moment because I do want to highlight your amazing new book, Otherland. Do you want to tell us a little bit more? Because you've said that this has been a passion project for 20 years. Yep. So this one is, um, so it started with me reading a book about, an academic book actually, about things. Um, and I've always been interested in those kind of creatures that are somehow other, whether that's kind of, elves or monsters of any kind and I think the idea of fairies in their creepy predatory sense has always interested me because I, I read a picture book by Maurice Sendak as a small child called Outside Over There and it's about basically well, goblins I think rather than fairies but same deal um, about them stealing a baby and um, they leave a baby behind in its place that's like a fake changeling baby and it melts and I actually that I did borrow that image for other land because it just stuck with me all my life but the idea of yeah the kind of people that come and steal children um people that you know are not sparkly pretty fairies they're there to mess you up they're there to play with you they're like much more like cats playing with mice and we're the mice so so yeah there's that kind of predatory fairy idea almost fairies as vampires in that they're kind of like they feed off 
human energy and they steal our children because in in the world i've created fairies can't have children they just steal human ones and turn them into fairies so that's the kind of way i've played with the the changeling myth there and so i had that and then i i just had the image of the fairy queen as this kind of vivian westwood style punk figure who in a in a kind of fairy monarchy where um, it's not hereditary, obviously, because nothing's hereditary. Um, instead, it's a popularity contest. So basically, as your popularity wanes, you stop being queen or king. So she's currently the queen because she's the coolest. But, you know, that can only last so long because fairies have very short attention spans. So there's a bit in the book where you know, they're having a party and there's a band and like they go out of fashion after 10 minutes. So they're very, they're very flighty. And I just wanted to capture that kind of anarchy in a world. Um, but also then introducing human characters into that and realizing that that kind of anarchy has consequences. So my main character, Myra, is basically kind of a mess. She's, um, I sometimes described her as like, if Widnell and I, Widnell from Widnell and I was an 11 year old girl. So she's all over the place. She's got no boundary. Like, well, she has boundary issues, let's say. She doesn't really understand that other people might not want to do things the way she does. Um, she's frankly a bit of a, you know, danger to others. <laughs> so this isn't too much of a spoiler, but quite early on in the book, she sets fire to a shed. She, you know, she does not hold back. Um, she always means well, like she's never going out to cause trouble. It's just that it kind of bursts out of her. So I thought there was quite a nice parallel between her and Fairyland. So you've got this place of great anarchy and then a child full of anarchy. Um, and then in contrast, Rohan, who's the other child character, and the one whose sister is stolen um, is much more kind of interested in order. He he's worried about like losing what he has, whereas Myra sort of feels like she's got nothing to lose. She's got this, you know, mother who's all over the place and, you know, absent father. It's very, you know, like quite what you'd call a troubled home, I suppose, because of the way everything they live in such chaos. Whereas Rohan comes from like, you know, two parent family. It's, you know, everything's very nice and like, calm they live in a nice bit of the suburbs whereas Mara lives on a really smelly main road they're not really friends <laughs> they're kind of thrown together because when they were very small when they were babies they both died um, on the day that they were born and then came back to life and this in fact that kind of miracle um, was what tore a hole in the universe allowing the fairy queen to come through after a little while because it took a while for the hole to get big enough until their 11th birthday which is they hold it jointly because they're born on the same day um so all the all the action starts at that, that party um and then everything goes wrong from there oh, I just, when i when i heard the concept because i believe there's also there's like a competition to win back Ro, uh, rohan's sister isn't there is, is at some point the fairy queen challenges yes. them i got so much like and when i heard the bits and pieces and you talking more about the, like the mythology there i'm getting such like labyrinth vibes that it's oh, just yeah. <laughs> i just you know, replace Goblin King with Fairy Queen. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> tell me more. But I was like, um, if David Bowie was played by Kate Blanchett, but Kate Blanchett in the bit in Lord of the Rings where she sort of goes evil. So yeah, I think that's sort of like, I like the kind of taking Labyrinth, but like messing with the genders involved. And yeah, and just kind of, I suppose the idea that everyone expects goblins to be bad, but they don't expect fairies to be. And I just wanted to go with that. And yeah, the idea of the, the central kind of, I guess, quest narrative is structured around something called a night game, which is a fairy game of like several challenges, kind of like Taskmaster for fairies. And each one is in theory, you know, she's trying as hard as possible to make it impossible. And some of them are terrifying. Some of them are more kind of, I guess, emotionally challenging. And I think the fairies obviously like have well, the fairy queen very much has her own agenda. There, there's actually a, a fairy who's their fairy godmother who's kind of on their side. 
who has a kind of troubled history with the Fairy Queen. And so, yeah, there's definitely kind of a lot of different agendas at play um, without giving too much away. But but I love the, I mean, I love kind of a, a quest with three stages. It's got the kind of computer game feeling in my head, you know, and, you know, trying to make them get harder and harder as you go, as you level up. And and also having one very rule-based character who's very into D&D and one very anarchic character and kind of playing with the idea of rules because fairies do actually stick to rules. However, they're so tricksy with the way they word them that they're probably messing with you. So in a way, both both of the children have something to offer because one understands rules and the other one understands chaos. Um, but they, I suppose their strengths and weaknesses balance each other out because, you know, obviously I think Myra is too at risk of being comfortable in fairyland and Rohan is too out of place, but actually they sort of meet in the middle to a degree. Yeah, no, I, this sounds so positive. I think this is going to really appeal to a very wide audience as well because it has got people who love the sort of the fantasy the quest people who love the sort of mythology behind all the bits and pieces like that and i think it's going to also have like maybe a sort of a real core friendship nucleus which um, Mm. middle grade needs a really good friendship (laughs) nucleus but interestingly i just quickly before we move on to the next part this actually i've suddenly twigged now the shakespeare reference you mentioned earlier which of course uh titania and uh all of those sort of midsummer night's dream that's uh suddenly i realized where it's from um, how far removed are we from that original draft then? Was that very much more Shakespearean? Um, um, so the original draft was nothing like this at all. It was a time travel story in oh. which there was a character who was half vampire, half fairy, who in return for blood gave you a wish and they went to ancient Rome. So nothing in common except the fairy queen was there as her mother in the background, um, but she wasn't really in the story. So yeah, nothing to do with it. Um, but once I got into the idea of it being set in fairyland or other land in, in this case it it did kind of move more into that Shakespearean area and I definitely wanted you know people with animal heads um it's not a donkey actually it's a different kind of animal but definitely a fairy with an animal head and and I guess that idea of the kind of haughtiness of the queen and the court courtliness um but also exploring what it means to have royalty when you don't actually have any sort of sense of respect or tradition (laughs) so like you know you kind of like it's very important that she's the queen but also in five minutes time she could not be so yeah so that was that was really fun to play with um as well as Shakespeare just to get a bit pretentious there's also Spencer in there so the fairy queen by Edmund Spencer which I have to say I never read the entirety of at university but it stuck with me the bits I did read um and that's where the name Gloriana came from um kind of because it was um you know dedicated to Queen Elizabeth the first and I think Spencer addresses her as Gloriana at some point in the introduction. So I liked, so I suppose there's another part to the Queen, which is she's a little bit Queenie from Blackadder. I don't know if you ever watched Blackadder, but um, the Elizabeth (laughs) first one. Um, So that kind of real petulant child, as well as, you know, it's very kind of terrifying Queen God. She's also really petty. Oh, yes. (laughs) Big, big Blackadder fan. Yeah, I can see that now. Just like, it's just like a giant kid on, on the throne. Um, oh, well, I, I'm already sold. I mean, I, I loved what you we did with Dragon in the Library anyway. So this was an instant sort of purchase for me. But uh, <laughs> you guys out there, you can grab hold of this right now. Otherland, buy Nosy Crow, wherever good books are sold. Um, try it and so- shop local if you can. Obviously, depending on what restrictions you're still going on as we're recording this in the past. So... <laughs> Um, that's what you have out right now. Super excitable stuff. 
but we are going to cast our gaze into the future and mm. look at what you're working on right now that might be dropping in a couple months times you know what's uh, what's brewing for you louis um nothing in a couple of months but next year i've got a series coming out with walker that is about the norse god loki so it's sort of delving into another mythological area for me um which is one i've been obsessed with since i was a kid because i was quite a nerdy child and i was very into wagner and i remember seeing a production on telly of wagner and really being into, interested in the giants um so so yeah so loki is about um the norse god loki getting punished by being sent down to earth in the form of a mortal boy and um basically it's sort of diary of, of adrian mole meets diary of a wimpy kids with gods Oh, yes. I mean, anything sort of like uh, Viking or Norse mythology, I mean, sign me up. But there you go. And that's dropping <laughs> next year by walking. Okay. Oh, yeah. there we go. So something to cast ourselves. Pop it in the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> far, very far ahead in the calendar. Wow, that's excitable. Um, and uh, I'm excited to say that, uh, well, I'm not excited because I don't want this interview to end, but we have come to the end. Uh, should I say, but I am excited for this. That's our competition. I knew I'd get there in the end. <laughs> I knew I had a, I had a plan. Um, our competition, yes, competition time. Lovely listeners, we are giving you guys a chance to win a signed copy of Otherland, that brand new book, slap bang, brand new book from Nosy Crow. If you want to be in a chance of winning a signed copy of that, all you have to do is head to our Twitter, and that's at Big Kids Book Club, all one long, lovely word, and use the hashtag OtherlandComp other land comp and obviously in this myra and rohan are going to save rohan's sister from the evil fairy queen so we're going to ask you guys to tag a friend that you would go to other land and risk a life and limb to save from the clutches of the evil fairy queen tag that special friend and uh, you could be in the chance of winning a signed copy of other land louis who would you uh, who would you go toe to toe against the evil fairy queen to save who would I save, not who would I go with? Um, yes, who would you save? And then I, I'm going to discount like family and. Well, you'd obviously go and save family, yeah. Friends. It's good. Okay, friends. So I think I would save. Gosh, this is really hard. I'm like literally kind of insulting every other friend that I'm not going to save. Actually, you know what? I'm going to save my wife. There you go. Then there's no, there's no argument about that. Yes, yeah, that's a solid pick. That's a solid pick. You're safe. Safe with that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I just want to quickly squeeze it in here. You mentioned Buffy earlier. I... I read somewhere you've got a dog called Buffy as well. Do you have a dog called Buffy? And I know this is a podcast, so I can't show her, but I'm sure I could get send you a picture that you could tweet. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yes. I just love the fact that the dog's called Buffy. I was like, yeah. yes. She's, she's a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. She's like the least aggressive dog in the world. So she's not really a vampire slayer, but she's, you know, she's cute. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, there you go. We've got everything. We've got competitions and we're talking about puppy dogs. So um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Louis, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming and dropping by the uh, the clubhouse and joining us here at the Big Kids Book Club. Fantastic. It's been a pleasure. I'm not going to let you disappear quite yet, though. I'm going to ask uh, you to let our lovely listeners know how they can get in touch with you. Is there a social media or a website link? I know we mentioned the website earlier. So having gone full-time as an author recently, I'm now just, I live on Twitter because that's my, where my colleagues sit. <laughs> so I'm at Louis Stoll, or one word, on Twitter. I'm at, on Instagram as well, which is actually quite a good place for photographs of my dog. So again, that's at Louis Stoll on Instagram. But yeah, I think Twitter's my favourite. And that website, so that, uh, again, people, uh, they've got that lovely short story on there. Uh, LouisStoll.com. There you go. Not, like the good thing about having an unusual name is that none of the web domains are taken. 
Yeah, always useful. Always useful. Or you just go for a really long name as we do <laughs> book club. Um, so uh, fantastic, Louis. Uh, wishing you all the best. And we're really looking forward to uh, the books coming out this year. And next to you, our lovely listeners, thank you for sticking around. And all I have to say then is until next time for you to take care, to stay safe, but most importantly, to keep on reading. <laughs>